Welcome to Top of the Game with Javier Sade, where we talk to amazing people that are shaping the world. These lightning round talks explore what makes remarkable leaders tick. Thinkers and doers pushing humankind forward and at the top of their games. Impactful insights, global perspectives, valuable wisdom you can use every day in your life and work. This is Top of the Game. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Javier. Bianca Linear is one of the few women in America, let alone African-American women, to both lead and have raised tens of millions of dollars of the growth capital for a tech startup. But what led her here started at a Seattle community center, followed by an incredible career, which includes 16 years of U.S. Army service, part of it as a JAG. Bianca currently serves as the president and chief executive officer at Community.com, preceded by being the company's COO. Prior to that, she worked as GC and corporate secretary at Convoy. She also serves on the board of Swedish Health Services, one of the largest healthcare provider systems in the country. Before her leadership, tech, and entrepreneurial journey, she served as the senior director in the legal department at Nordstrom, Expeditors, and as a senior attorney at the U.S. Department of Education. She started her career as a litigator at Perkins Coy. She holds a bachelor's degree in political science and military service from the University of Washington and a JD from the University of Pennsylvania. Enjoy this incredible conversation. Yanka, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Uh, what an amazing career, life, just amazing stuff you've done. But for the listeners, and you know, the shows are kind of fast-paced, uh, fast-clipped, uh, walk-arounds, the lives of incredible people. Why don't we start kind of at the beginning, which is your early life, some early influences you had, and what set you on the path uh, up until now. I grew up in Seattle um, where there were very few people of color, um, uh, particularly in my neighborhood uh, in West Seattle. Um, and I, we didn't have a ton of money. Um, my dad had come back from Vietnam. We are pretty, pretty, you know, like didn't have a lot. And so I grew up, uh, the gift I had is I grew up across the street from a community center. So I was basically a community center kid. I played every sport. I played backgammon. Um, I did every activity. We had a boxing ring at our community center. So I learned how to box a little bit. Wait, wait, wait. And you played backgammon and you boxed? That is yeah, crazy. and I boxed. Yeah, and I want to, and then I'll have to hit you with this. Then I was actually the community center ping pong champion. So I lived at that community center, um, which actually sort of went in a time where it was pretty stressful at home mm -hmm. at times, uh, really gave me a uh, rounded, a really rounded childhood. And by the way, I played every sport possible mm -hmm. as well. My head's spinning. The fact that you've played backgammon and ping pong, like it's, it's amazing. And yeah, I mean, we can get into community centers because it's kind of full <laughs> circle. Yes. Now you're the CEO of a company, which is sort of a, in some ways, a community center, but on the internet and around community called community. We'll get That's to right. that in a second. Interesting full circle moment, but you have this incredible uh, upbringing. The community had a lot to do with it. And then you become a lawyer. Tell me a little bit about your early career, kind of the, the, the path there. Yeah, my it was wild. So um, I graduated from high school, 
could not get out of Seattle fast enough, right? I just wanted, like many kids, right, coming out of their hometowns, couldn't get out fast enough. I applied to one college, two colleges, actually, the University of Washington and Howard University. Um, and I got into both, but I wanted to be in Howard University. So I literally packed up a hope chest, which was what, you know, like my family had pulled their resources together, packed it up. So I'm tra traveling across the country with a chest. Um land in DC, ready to start school and realized I couldn't afford to stay. So, um, so that like my world came to a, like a, just a halt that was um, pretty, pretty devastating at the time at 18. I was rattled. I walked down the street, I saw a poster. It said, join the army, $30,000 for college. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a sign from above, right? Like that's exactly how much tuition was at Howard University um, when I was out of high school. And so I walked into the recruiter's office and two weeks later, I was marching to Cadence and had joined the army. Uh, and before I knew it, um, I was in the army, uh, ended up staying in for 16 years um, through a number of events, joining ROTC mm -hmm. um, and really sort of building leadership skills from the from the ground up as a very, very young, young person. So I think that really started my life um, in the direction that it headed today. Yeah, talk about a leadership academy. It doesn't get any better than our amazing armed forces. And thank you for your service, 16 years. Thank you. Um, then you became a lawyer. Okay, now walk me through your career, which is kind of this incredible ping pong ball <laughs> of lawyering and running things. Just tell me, tell the listeners a little bit about this amazing pathway you've had as a professional. Yeah, well, while I was in the Army, even before I became a JAG officer, mm -hmm. um, and I was still a logistics officer, I knew I always wanted to go to law school. Just growing up, I thought I did. I admired Thurgood Marshall um, for a number of different reasons, who was the first uh, Black Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. I wanted to follow in his footsteps, and so I went to law school. So I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Mm -hmm. um, always liked math and economics and numbers, so um, I came out uh, as a as a sort of litigator um, and went to go work for a law firm here in Seattle, a big law firm, became an antitrust lawyer. I thought that would keep me close to math and litigation. Um, and then September 11th happened. And when that happened, the DOJ was just not interested, right, in further destabilizing mm -hmm. the economy. So I ended up having to become a jack of all trades. And this is gets to your point of this ping pong, um, which became my career um, in that I literally had to learn everything, right? You kept your job if you were valuable to the firm mm -hmm. and could be dynamic and pivot into different roles. So I started doing regular commercial litigation, product liability, employment law, right? Would review contracts, advertising law, whatever was needed at the firm. I started to do. And what that did was that crafted me into a sort of perfect candidate for an in-house legal counsel job. So about nine years into my career, I started working for big companies, Fortune 500 companies. Um, one was a logistics company called Expeditors. And the second one, which mo many people on this um, podcast will know is Nordstrom. And I ended up being the number two person in the legal department running the compliance function at Nordstrom. What year was this? What year was this? Around. This was in, yeah, I think it was in night, uh, 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. 2013 yeah. is when I joined 
And did you get any discounts on their shoes? Because I know they're famous. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. I have the best shoe collection in the nation, right? (laughs) I got discounts on every on everything, and I also I got an education in fashion, which my uh, you know my family always teases me about. Um, So understanding designers, the fashion world, uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty incredible. So the armed forces. Antitrust back then was not as fashionable as it is now. We're seeing this happening with the, with the airlines yes. uh, recently, and uh, you know uh, the, the current administration. Yes, very it focused. was telecommunications back then. That was pretty exactly. much it, right? There's always there's always a boogeyman um, or boogeywoman. Um, <laughs> then the it forced you because of uh, window closed, door open, to do other stuff, which led you to go in-house and that means instead of being in a law firm for the listeners that are not super familiar means that you're inside a company as doing legal things inside a company okay then what then i got a taste of being an in-house lawyer i got a taste of operating and running a business and um uh like how incredibly fascinating um how many opportunities there were to sort of build um and really enjoyed it, stayed at Nordstrom for about four years. And I met two incredible women um, that I worked pretty closely with the audit committee. And both of these women um, chaired successively uh, the audit committee. And one of them looks at me um, initially and says, you should be running a P&L. And that set off a light bulb in my head. And the other one uh, later on said, hey, you know, you should, you know, really consider sort of moving to a leader posi- leadership position outside of the legal world just to make sure you're not too limited. Um, and so that set a fire uh, in my mind. And the next thing you know, um, I was starting to think about roles both within Nordstrom and also outside of Nordstrom. And I ended up coming across a role at a startup company. And the funny thing about this is it's kind of hard to make a transition from the legal world, right, to a business operator world. Um, I had the advantage of having military, right, years and Uh years of military operational experience behind me. Uh So I know that helped. But I ultimately interviewed for the general counsel job at a startup um, and got the job. And once I was one of the sort of early sort of executive team members at this startup, and this was in 2017, Mm -hmm. I fell in love with it. And I was doing more than just legal because, right, when you're an early executive, as you know, Javier, when you're an early executive as a startup company, you do everything. Yeah, you got to take out the trash. You got to cut the deals. You got to talk to everybody. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And more than just an executive, everybody at yeah. an early stage startup does mm-hmm. everything. So um, so that set me on track to to sort of move into more of an operational role. I mean, I would say you would have probably ended up in that general management kind of PNL leader direction on your own. But it's interesting, many of the previous guests talk about these fleeting moments of influence that you may not real, you know, you didn't realize what those two women in the mm-hmm. board of the company were doing, but that just, you know, three sentences, I'm sure they were mentors to you and all that stuff, but it's really just like three seconds yes. of your life that completely changes your life. And it's like serendipity combined with obviously you have the goods and you could pay the price of admission, but it was somebody kind of lighting a fire. So you're now a community and you are now the CEO of this amazing company. So talk a little bit about how that came about and 
what the company does, why it's important. And, you know, for the listeners, she's too humble to say, but um, she's one of very few African-American women in the United States that have raised, uh, let alone millions, but tens of millions of dollars for this enterprise, which is congratulations to you. But talk a little bit about your company and uh, what it's trying to do. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the, the sort of full circle moment of community. Mm-hmm. Um, I have grown up right in community. Um, my community is what I've learned um, I rely on for support. And now I lead a company called Community. So what Community does is we have technology, natural language processing, human assisted AI that helps you turn your customer base into a community. So when you think about that, if you just have a number of customers, but they're not organized, right? They're not sort of, um, you don't have a way to actually connect with them in an ecosystem that feels like you're not just marketing to them, you're actually engaging with them, you're reaching them, you're listening to them. That's what we do. So folks opt in, right? Your supporters, your believers, your followers opt into the platform. They instantly, our technology like brings them together, organizes like their commonalities, helps you communicate with them one to many. And now you can start listening and talking to your customers in a way that helps you um, know your audience and pull insights. It's, am- it's amazing. In the analog world, I don't know if you remember when PepsiCo decided to do this competition for a Doritos ad, they basically said, hey, everybody, do a Doritos ad for the Super Bowl. Um, the campaign itself mm-hmm. was the ad. At the yes. end of the day, it was a really cool, like, you know, shaky camera, skateboarding kid ad or whatever made by a normal, you know, not media person. But the community that that created, I mean, now you're basically doing, I'm not going to say a, a version of that, but an analogous thing to that, which is that because people are opting in, to this community because of affinity or whatever, everything becomes more authentic. So whenever you hit them with selling them something, it's not so brash. Am I getting it? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not so brash. It's not so random. Um, And it's thoughtful, right? Because it's in response to feedback they're getting from you. It's literally the brand connecting with you. we have deals with all three major music labels. So if you're talking to like Dua Lipa or Jay Balvin, you're getting actually videos and content from Jay. And you eventually buy their music, which is the whole point for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then but, but for the, I guess you're a mark, almost like a marketplace, just a really cool business. Um, can you describe one, just one campaign or one thing that kind of stands out? I know you have hundreds of these things in there, but something just to bring it to life? Yeah, um, uh, I'll use my first job was at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So I'll use an example of McDonald's. They're using the, the platform brilliantly. Like one of the things they did was they um, put a big poster, a big billboard up in Times Square. And they were just about to do a sauce drop, right? Like to announce this, uh, bringing back sort of their, you know, Szechuan sauce. They put a, they literally put a poster up that said, you know, uh, sauce drop. And then just the phone number. So the phone number was there. Uh, Within 24 hours, 20,000 people downloaded McDonald's app 
to sign up for this sauce or just because they were curious. They keep that in mind. The Grimace, like, you know, shake yeah. um, Grimace's birthday. You know, you got a video. Here's a great thing. It wasn't no, no money involved. You just got a video of Grimace with a towel on his head, right? In the, coming out of the shower, getting ready for his birthday party. Um, or they dropped custom Crocs. Uh, McDonald's did by partnering with Crocs and literally launching that on the platform. So really like differentiated customer experiences, the customer experiences we want as users um, or fans of a brand that feel that feel authentic and unique uh, and not just sort of cookie cutter experiences. I share something in common with you. My first job was as a burger flipper in, in fact, oh. McDonald's. <laughs> I, I think it's something like one in 12 people in America have at some point in their careers in McDonald's. <laughs> Let's end it with this. You're one of very few um, African, sadly, and hopefully mm -hmm. this changes, one of very few African-American women that have achieved so much. You're talking to a room full of Black girl twins. Mm -hmm. what, what do you tell them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and thanks for asking it, because uh, if they're listening or if they will have the opportunity to listen one day, um, it's to dream big, right? I know it's a Steve Jobs sort of cliche, but it's real. Um, just dream big. Uh, I feel like when I was remember running around that community center, mm -hmm. I used to tell people I wanted a job and I thought I was dreaming big. That said where I went in every morning and said, hi, Bob. And, um, and then I made $200,000. Right. That was like the the holy grail of, of dreams. But I didn't dream, you know, outside of that. It was a survival dream. Right. Like I just wanted to make it. So I would just say for whatever you do, dream big. And the second is then bet on yourself. Terrific advice from a terrific human being. Bianca, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For information and links about today's guests, check out the show notes and visit topofthegame-thepod.com. Your host, Javier Sade, the show Top of the Game. Thanks for listening.